Before we crack on, I've got a question for you. If you're buying something online, do you check the reviews? Of course you do. We all do. But what if the reviews are fake? Well, that's exactly what happened to Toma Tagrin when he bought a camera based on shoddy reviews. He got stitched up with a bad product, so decided to do something about it, launching Yotpo. Yotpo makes it easy to get verified reviews from your customers and then display them on your e-commerce site and across your marketing. This is important because 10 reviews can uplift conversion by 53%, but 100 reviews, well, that can more than double conversion. It's big numbers. Yotpo helps customers trust you enough to buy from you, and it's even more valuable you keep those customers coming back, which is why they also have loyalty and SMS features to help your retention. So, if you're in e-commerce and want more revenue, check out yotpo.com secret. That's yotpo.com secret. Now, onto the show. The last six months was just me and my co-founder trying to find somebody to buy the technology or buy the business. And obviously we weren't getting paid, so you don't pay yourself in times like that. It was very hard to keep going because feasibly, you know that there might not be a good outcome at the end of it. So you've got to be fairly driven to still have a go because the chances are you might just shut it down. That's Alex Farrell, a successful founder, NED, non-executive director and investor. But amongst her wins, she's also had some losses. Alex founded Giftwink in 2015, a platform where users got timely and excellent gift ideas. So, when your mum's birthday was coming up, you'd actually get her something awesome, which arrived on time. That was the idea anyway. But four years later, after pushing against headwinds, Alex was forced to let the staff go and close the business. But she at least managed to sell the tech. From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our bite-sized series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because failure is far more common than success and a lot more interesting, but it's hardly ever talked about. So we want to change that with the help of founders like Alex who are sharing their toughest moments and what they've taken from them. For Alex, and sorry, some of her audio is a bit scratchy, her failure didn't end in the total destruction of her business because she was able to sell some of the underlying assets, which is what most founders try when the writing's on the wall, a last-ditch Hail Mary, which sometimes comes off. But she had to do that because the business didn't work. So let's find out why. Well, I think the key thing that went wrong was that I assumed very naively that all, you know, two-sided marketplace businesses or platform businesses were pretty much the same thing. In fact, I referred to it as a platform that just happened to sell stuff. The retail bit came second. It was a platform first, it happened to be in retail. So the main problem was that I had categorised it as a technology platform business as opposed to a retail business. And all the other problems, I would say, stemmed from that. Because ultimately, yes, it is a technology business, it is a platform business. Like Tinder is a platform business, but ultimately it's still a dating business, right? So, you know, the, the main problem was that I'd sort of put retail second and put the technology first. And actually the commercial model was a retail model. So the, the, I think the main problem that I hadn't grasped in launching a, a retail platform as opposed to a normal technology-enabled platform is that supply chain and logistics are an enormous part of it, right? Real life challenges as opposed to software challenges, right? No matter how good your software is, 
if you can't get the retailer to put the product in the post and it arrives on time, and timing is key in gifting, as you can imagine. <laughs> you don't want your gift to your mum to turn up a day late. Logistics and supply chain is massive. It's everything. It's more important than the tech. And I hadn't thought of that. I thought, well, that's just another problem that technology can solve. And it's not just a technology problem, it's a supply chain problem and a logistics problem. Right, so that was problem number one, I think, was not understanding that the business model is actually driven more by logistics than the technology that the customer uses. But logistics wasn't the only problem Alex had to deal with. And at a certain point, she realised she had a problem she couldn't solve herself. I've got a pretty good network. And one of my friends runs a very, very big chain of retail um, fashion shops, enormous. And he was very gentle with me. And he sort of, at one point, he said, maybe you need somebody who understands retail on your board. And it was done so gently, but it was a bit of a light bulb moment. I thought, my God, he's absolutely right. But I didn't want to build a retail business. I wanted to build a technology platform in retail. And I think there is something different about that. Because retail, traditional retail, has its own problems. And you don't want to just replicate that either. So what I did do was um, very quickly, I hired a very senior person who was ex not on the high street. Because I thought, right, I'm going to buy somebody in here. I'm going to throw it on. I found an amazing woman who was ex not on the high street who really, really understood not just this market, but the challenges with all of those little suppliers, et cetera, et cetera. And she came in with knowledge that I was like, oh my gosh, I just, who knew that delivery was so complicated? Who knew that an extra hour delivery slot meant your conversion rate went up 20%? You know, she'd learned the hard way, all these amazing pieces of information that just hadn't crossed my mind. She was able to understand the retailer part of the platform which I hadn't understood till then. I'd understood the consumer side. I buy gifts. I therefore understand people buying gifts. I'd never been a retailer, never been a small retailer. Didn't understand what was important to them. Didn't understand what challenges they faced. So she came in and solved the second part of the marketplace, which was what do we do with the retailers, how they behave, what they need, what's important to them, you know, how are we going to make them happy? Um, so that did fix that. Um, but then there was a second key part, the second kind of main problem then, that once we'd fixed that bit, was understanding just how much money a B2C retail platform needed from a funding perspective. So that was the second major realisation was, ah, right, this is a B2C play. It's going to cost me a lot of money to win lots of small amounts of revenue. Right. And actually in a B2B business, you don't necessarily need to worry about that so much. You can pick up the phone and get 20 grand in, you know, 30 grand, 100 grand, right? On a retail platform, you drive a transaction, it's 30 quid. And I think actually, even if you knew that at the start, your assumption that oh, surely once I've won a customer, they'll come back and they'll come back eight times because I've mapped out my unit economics. And yes, once they've discovered my amazing platform, of course, they won't go anywhere else because it will be such an amazing experience. Whereas the reality is it's very cutthroat out there in the world of online retail and there's not a lot of loyalty. So you do need very big, big budgets and deep pockets to keep them. So I think it's being brutally honest about how hard it is as opposed to being very optimistic about these numbers could look amazing if this happens. And actually, you're taught as an entrepreneur to be very optimistic about the scale of the business at the start. You know, people don't want to hear in your fundraising deck, look, if it's really tough, it could look like this. It could be this hard. It could cost this much money to win a customer and they might not come back three times. They might only come back one and a half times, right? So there is that kind of optimism at the start, especially when you're fundraising, to think, you know, oh, this is going to be really shiny and rosy and this is such a killer app that once I've got them, they'll never leave me. And the reality is actually in certain sectors, especially online retail, there's a lot of competition out there. And, you know, you're up against some really, really big players who know what they're doing, yeah. Alex's business was running out of time and money, which are basically the same thing in startups. 
Faced with the prospect of having to raise £20 million to compete, she decided to look for a buyer instead. But how do you pull off a sale like that with your back against the wall? I mean, I've sold businesses before and obviously you'd have a company helping you. You know, they'd have a, you know, an IM set up, you know, you'd have a nice brochure, out it would go. And we were just too early stage for that. We hadn't got enough traction. There was a good piece of tech, but it wasn't quite, you couldn't afford it. You know, we wouldn't be able to spend half a million quid on getting somebody, you know, putting the business in a position to put it out to market. So it was much more scrappy, very startup, right? So it was like, right, does anybody know anyone in retail? Does anybody know anyone at John Lewis? Or does anybody know anyone here? It was just a case of that. It was like, who knows people that can talk to me in these sectors? Oh, I know somebody here. Or I know so-. so it was simply a case of reaching out to my network, finding out if anybody knew anybody at these places. And, you know, having conversations that might even seem a little bit too left field because you might as well. It still took six months from start to finish. So it was still quite a bit of work for a very relatively small transaction at the end of it. But I was happy that it ended up in a good place. I came across some very interesting opportunities that I never thought of as well. So there were some other startups trying to solve the same sort of problem as me, albeit with a slightly different execution plan. And they had had funding or they'd said they'd had funding. So we went and chatted to them as well. So it was talking to competitors as well as potential acquirers. Alex eventually met a buyer at a networking event and sold the business to a publishing company. But there was great human cost along the way. We did have to let go of the staff because whilst we were you know, getting to that stage, obviously it wasn't an ongoing concern then. We weren't acquiring customers and selling them stuff. So we did have to, you know, be clear to the people who were working for us that, you know, they had to go, unfortunately, you know, so we were very um, sad for that to happen. So the last six months was just me and my co-founder trying to find somebody to buy the technology or buy the business. And obviously we weren't getting paid because you don't pay yourself in times like that. It was very hard to keep going because feasibly, you know that there might not be a good outcome at the end of it. So you've got to be fairly driven to still have a go because the chances are you might just shut it down. You also know that at some point you're going to need to pay your bills and you're quite desperate for cash, you know, but you can't pay yourself. So there's this, there's this personal worry about, you know, how am I going to financially support myself? So it's the kind of not knowing when this is going to end and I can move into normality again is, I think, the most stressful thing. I've got a family, you know, I've got a son. And at the same time, I had some, some pretty challenging things happening in my home life as well. So everything sort of went backwards at the same time. So this business was, hadn't been successful. I needed to put the technology or sell the business somehow. I needed to support myself, but I wasn't paying myself. My home life wasn't going very well either. And I think you can handle one or two things at once, but all of it going wrong, was, it was pretty stressful. So no, we did have some of those tough times in terms of letting go staff, letting our retailers know that the platform was going to go quiet for a while. Because we didn't, we didn't know at that stage whether we were going to sell it as a retail platform or we were going to merge it with a retail platform or just sell the technology. So you've got to keep everything going on an absolute shoestring, you know, because you haven't got any money in the bank. And these things take longer than, than you think every time. All transactions seem to take six months, even when they're tiny, right? You know, this wasn't a multi-million pound transaction. I didn't deliver the shareholders' returns that I wanted either. So it definitely wasn't a success. The thing is, success and failure exist on a spectrum. It's rarely black and white. And Alex was able to take a lot of positives from this very draining experience. I mean, we did end up putting the technology in a, in a brilliant big publishing house, right? It, is, it went to a happy home. You know, I, I'm regretful it wasn't a success for the shareholders. You know, or that the vision of the business didn't, didn't materialise. Um, 
But actually, you know, I learned a lot from that period. You know, I learned an awful lot about an e-commerce funnel, which I didn't know anything about. I learned about, you know, the brutality of different business models, right? And having that eye for, you know, the real detail. And I also learned that, you know, nothing, even at your darkest depth time, you could come out the other end. Being a founder takes resilience. You're going to go through tough times, but as we've heard time and again, it's always darkest before the dawn. Yeah, we had to use that line at some point, sorry. You've been listening to our Bite Size series on failure, and I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. We'll be back next week with another deep dive on someone's worst career moment. So if you've enjoyed this, please follow us in your podcast app and share the episode with someone who needs to hear it. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.